on today's episode. And you heard the woman say, hi, best, oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my goodness! She said, John, John, the cow is in the piper! <laughs> now go on in the house. Cookie and milk and bed and bath. All kinds of tales. From all kinds of tellers. Here on The Appleseed. It's time for The Appleseed. In each episode of the show, we bring you a couple of stories from a couple of our favorite storytellers. And the stories will entertain you, they'll inspire you, they'll get you thinking, and they may even help your family tell your own stories. I'm Sam Payne. And today we have two stories that are zany fun, but both connect to storytelling traditions the world over And by the end of the episode, we'll have connected to ideas of storytelling as a family, too. Our first story is from Massachusetts storyteller Bill Harley. He'll spin out a version of the Irish tale, The Cow That Ate the Piper. This is a story that's been told by a lot of folks in a lot of different ways, and you're sure going to love the way Bill tells it. It's a tale about hospitality. Most cultures have strong feelings about hospitality, how people ought to treat each other in hospitable ways. Some cultures even have rules and laws that govern what happens if a stranger approaches your home looking for food and shelter. Often, stories that get passed down over generations are serious, earnest, filled with important and weighty lessons on how we ought to treat one another or how we ought to live in the world. And that earnestness is part of what gets those stories passed down from generation to generation. Other times, though, a story like this comes along. Sometimes a story that gets passed down gets passed down because it's uproarious fun. And that's the case with this story, The Cow That Ate the the Piper, a story that is kind of by turns fun and silly and scary and even a little gross. If you've ever shared a silly story, then this is a story for you. If you've ever wondered how to teach someone a lesson, then this might be a story for you. If you've ever wanted to help someone out, then this might be a story for you. Here's The Cow That Ate the Piper from Bill Harley, recorded live before the Appleseed audience. So I'm going to tell you a story that I don't tell very much, but I love this story. I learned it from a storyteller named Richard Walker uh, from uh, from Great Britain. And uh, Richard died 10 or 15 years ago. And I've, I've carried this story with me for a long time. And I've just told it a couple times recently. Um, there, there was a fellow, his name was Willie McPhee. And he played the pipes. He played the, the big pipes, you know, the war pipes that scare everybody. He played the Yulian pipes, the one you put under your arm and kind of squeeze like that. And whenever he would run into somebody, he, he would play for the pleasure of their ears and he'd play for a place to stay. He'd say, my name is Willie McPhee. I'm the finest of pipers. And if you give you a hot meal and a place to rest my head, I'll be happy to play for you. And everywhere he went, the doors opened for Willie McPhee. And so he finally decided he was going to take a tour of the whole island. 
So he left, he left Scotland. He worked all the way down through the highlands, the lowlands, and he came into the eastern part of East Anglia, and he played, and everywhere he p- played, he would say, my name's Willie McPhee. I'm the finest of pipers. If you'd give me a hot meal and a place to lay my head, I'll be happy to play for you. And the doors open all the way down into London, all the way out to Cornwall, all the way up through Wales. And as he walked, his clothes grew more ragged and he wore holes in the knees of his pants and the elbows of his jacket and the soles of his shoes, but still the doors opened to him. And now he was headed home and the weather had turned and it was winter and he came to Yorkshire and he hoped that the people would open up their doors and he wondered about their hospitality. But as it happened, he found himself one night not finding a place. And the weather turned and the snow began to fall and he was alone on the road and the snow was piling up and he thought, Willie McPhee, what's gonna become of you? And as he wandered down the road, he tripped over something. He looked down and it seemed to be a log, this frozen log in the middle of the road covered up with snow. He said, some poor carriage, some poor cart's gonna run over this. A horse is gonna break its leg. I better pull it out of the way. But he dusted it off to pull it off the road and he saw it wasn't a log at all. It was a body frozen to the ground. And he said, this poor fella, least I can do is drag him off the road so people aren't running over him. He pulled him off the road and as he pulled him, he had a hold of his feet and he looked down and on that poor fella's feet were these brand new brown boots. They looked as soft as leather and he looked at his poor shoes. They were flapping in the wind and the snow was seeping through the bottom every time the leather bottom opened up. And he looked at those boots and he said, you know, those boots look like they might fit me. They're not doing this fella any good. So he knelt down there on the side of the road there in the dark with the snow pouring down and he tried to pull them off. But wouldn't you know, they were frozen to his legs. It just seemed a horrible thing to leave those boots where nobody could use them. Now it just so happened that he had a little tool bag that he used to fix his pipes. And in that tool bag, there was a wee little saw. And he looked at the fella, he said, I'm sorry, but at least your boots are gonna be doing so good. So there with the snow coming down, he took that saw and he, he just made a little cut. And you know, it wasn't that hard to cut because the legs were kind of frozen. It wasn't bloody or anything, so don't be upset about it. <laughs> and when he got those boots off with the, with the legs in them, he tied a little string around and he hung on horses behind his neck and he walked down and he said, well, if the weather either breaks, breaks and I can get these feet out of the boots, I'll have some new boots. (laughs) Well, he hadn't walked very far, just another mile or two, when up on the distance on the left, far up on a hill, he saw a little croft, a little farm, and he saw a little light coming out of a window. He said, Willie McPhee, you're a lucky man. There might be a place to stay. So he waded through the snow. Before he knocked on the door, he thought he ought to take a look in the window. And the light coming out of the window was golden and warm and inviting. And he came up and he kind of wiped the frost off and he looked inside. Oh, 
It was so comfy. There was a big fire burning in the fireplace. And there was a man and a woman. And they were just sitting down at the table. And they had these pots of this hot stew with the steam rising off. And his mouth started to salivate. And he said, oh, Willie McPhee, you're a lucky man. Because you're going to find a place to lay your head tonight. So he went over and boom, 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 knocked on the door. Nobody answered. He said, surely they'll hear me. Boom, 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 boom. He knocked on the door. And finally, the door was flung open. There was a big man looking down and said, what do you want? He said, my name's Willie McPhee. I'm the finest of pipers. If you give me a hot meal and a place to lay my head, I'll be happy to play for you. And the man said, I'm not interested. Boom, shut the door in Willie's face. Willie said, how could he be doing that, leaving me out on a cold night like that? So he pounded on the door again. The man opened and said, you're still here. What do you want? He said, I want to play the pipes. I'm Willie McPhee. I'm the finest of pipers. I'll play for you. The man said, I hate the pipes. Boom, shut the door in his face. Willie couldn't believe it. The man was going to leave him out there to freeze and die there. He pounded on the door. The man said, I told you to leave. What do you want? He said, please, I don't want to freeze to death. Give me a place. The man said, oh, there's no room in the house. If you want, you can go back there in a barn. You can curl up in the hay up there in the loft. My wife will come out if there's any food. She's going to check on the cow in a little while. So you can just go out and curl out there. Maybe she'll bring some food out to you. Now don't come here again and shut the door. Willie couldn't believe it. But at least he'd be out of the snow. So he waded through the snow. He pulled the door open in the snow. He closed it behind him. And there was the cow, Bessie, curled up in the corner. She was all curled up and lying down. Her head was turned around almost like a dog curls up. And she was asleep, but she was chewing on a cud like that. <laughs> chewing on the cud. Willie sat down. He said, what am I going to do with these boots? Well, you know, Bessie was like a big furnace. So he took those boots from off his shoulders and he stuck them under Bessie. And he sat there and he waited a little while. Ten or fifteen minutes later, he pulled those boots out. The legs had thawed. He pulled those legs out. He took his old boots off. He put the new ones on. Oh, they fit like a glove. He thought of that fellow and he said, thank you very much. Then he's looking at that fellow's poor legs. He looked at his shoes. He said, I bet those shoes would fit those feet. <laughs> so he put his old shoes on that man's poor legs. Then he looked at Bessie, chewing on her cud. And he got an idea. And he took those two legs, and he stuck them right in her mouth. There she was. <laughs> and then Willie McPhee climbed up in the loft. <laughs> and he waited a little bit. And he heard somebody trudging through the snow. And he heard the door being forced open in the snow. And he heard the woman say, hi, Bessie. Oh, my gosh! Oh, my goodness! She said, John, John, the cow is at the piper! John came waiting to the snow. What are you talking about, woman? Look! Those are his boots! He said, oh, you know, you're right. If they find out about us, there's no telling. We're going to have to bury what's left of him right now. So they dragged those legs out and they waded out in the field in the snow and they got a shovel. And there in this blizzard, they dug a hole and they buried those two poor legs in there and they covered it back over and they went back to their house. 
Willie climbed down out of the loft and he started thinking. <laughs> he waited another 10 minutes. Then he got out those big war pipes. <laughs> and he tuned them up. He waded out into the snow, got to the place where those legs were, and he tuned up those pipes, and that snow was pouring down on him, cover him up, his head, his shoulders, the pipes, and he started to play. And I wasn't there, but they say that was Willie McPhee's finest concert. <laughs> he played louder than he'd ever played before. And that man and woman were about to go to bed. They were about to retire when the woman said, what is that sound? And they looked out the window and standing out there was a white figure playing the pipes. And the man said, it's the ghost of the piper. He's come to haunt us. We got to get out of here. And they grabbed what little things they could, stuck them in a bag, and they waded down the road and would never see again. And Willie put those pipes back in his bag, waded through the snow, came into the house, found a hot bowl of stew. He sat down in front of the fire, roasting his shins, saying, aren't I a lucky man? And he was just finished on his meal. He's finally getting warm when there was a knock on the door. He said, who could be out on a night like tonight? So he opened the door and there's this short little fella saying, I'm looking for a place to stay. He said, you poor fella out here in a night like this, come in and warm your feet. And the man said, yeah, well, there's a problem with that. <laughs> and that's the story of the cow that ate the piper. <laughs> That was Bill Harley with The Cow That Ate the Piper, an ancient and outlandish tale that shows what can happen when you turn away a stranger. A story like Bill's reminds me of the outlandish tales that used to get swapped in the car when I was a kid on the way to Grandma's house, who, it should be said, lived 700 miles away. And there were a lot of desert miles that we filled up with games and stories. Sometimes they were family stories. Sometimes they were stories in song. But they always seemed to be held together by silly stories mostly made up by my dad. So even the silliest stories fill me with dear memories and thoughts of the family. I love. I bet some stories sprang to mind for you from your own life or the life of someone you know. Stories have this wonderful way of sprouting and growing as the stories bring up thoughts that grow into conversations. Stories are like seeds in that way. Maybe that's why we call the show The Apple Seed. Coming up, Lynn Ford with a fanciful story about how her great-grandmother weaves the stories that she told. I'm Sam Payne. <laughs> It's such a pleasure to be with you on the apple seat. A moment ago, we heard the cow that ate the piper, an outlandish story from Bill Harley about a piper, a pair of boots, and even a little late-night grave digging. Our next story is from Ohio storyteller Lynn Ford. Lynn Ford tells what she calls home-fried tales, personal stories from her family's oral tradition that reflect their Appalachian, Caribbean, Cherokee roots. Here's Lynn Ford with the story, How Great-Grandma Gets Her Stories, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. (laughs) 
I have my own favorite storytellers, a lot of them from my family. But my great-grandmother didn't seem to tell a lot of stories. Instead, she would sing in a deep, deep voice. And when I would visit with her in East Liverpool, Ohio, and spend the summers there, I thought as a privilege, I think my father was trying to save me from getting killed by my mother, because I was that kind of child. We would turn the soil and plant the seeds and pull up the weeds and water the plants. I'm doing all of that with a small rattle that is called shakere. What is it called? Shakere. And as we did all this work, my great-grandmother would sing to make the time go faster. We hadn't even had breakfast. We'd do the work first and then go back in and have what folks call brunch now. My great-grandmother might sing, Oh, Mary, don't you weep. And I was supposed to sing my part. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. And Martha, don't you moan. Oh, Martha, don't you moan. The river drowned old Pharaoh's army. Mary, don't you weep. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. And Martha, don't you moan. Oh, Martha, don't you moan. Well, early in the morning, before the sun is rising, Mary, don't you weep? Good. And Martha, don't you moan? The river drowned old Pharaoh's army. Mary, don't you weep? And Martha, don't you moan? Oh, you're good. You're very, very good. Give yourselves a hand. But one day, when I was supposed to be singing my part, I just got kind of carried away. I'd been listening to Mahalia Jackson singing. And when we were supposed to be closing the song to go in to get breakfast, I inhaled and I said, Oh, Martha, don't you moan. I was about that big. <laughs> and my great-grandma looked at me, and she said, Baby, what's wrong with you? And I said what any bright child would say, uh. <laughs> and then we had breakfast. My great-grandma, I called her my Essie doll. Etsy in Cherokee or Salagi means my mother, and that is a portion of my heritage. And she made the best breakfasts. She made the best lunches. She made the best dinners, only lunch was called dinner, and dinner was called supper. Whole different place from here. <laughs> And I just loved her dearly, but when all the cousins by the dozens, as they called us, would come during family gathering time, and when I was five, I was told there were 29 cousins in the age group from four to 10. And so they would just yell, cousins by the dozens. And if everybody didn't show up, there were special whistles, depending on whose mama was doing the whistling. Great-grandma didn't whistle. She was afraid her teeth would come out. <laughs> but you'd hear that whistle. My mother put two fingers in her mouth, and she'd make this whistle that was shrill, and I knew I better show up. 
Well, great-grandma didn't do that. She just yelled cousins by the dozens. And we came and sat on the front porch. And she sat in her rocking chair on the front porch. And she might be darning a sock, a ball inside the toe of the sock, and needle and thread. Nowadays, folks just look at a hole in the sock. They say, darn sock, and throw it away. <laughs> but she didn't waste. And so she would be working on that sock and she would be telling us a story. A lot of times stories from the good book, but there were other stories and I don't really remember them because she'd tell them in a soft, low voice. Her voice was much deeper than mine. Slowly speaking, rocking back and forth. And I realized she was making us all sleepy. Then she'd say, all right, babies, time for cookie, one cookie. She said cookie, and milk, and baths, and bed. Now, I didn't like that bath part. That was worse than getting one cookie when you knew you wanted two homemade cookies. <laughs> but that bath part, the teenage cousins would tell two or three of us to come upstairs. They'd run the bath water. They'd throw two or three of us in the same water together. They'd bathe those two or three, get us into our pajamas, throw us in the beds. They'd call up two or three more. They might not change the water. Throw those ones in that water, bathe them, and put them to bed. I did not like that idea at all. I wanted my own water. I wanted warm water. I didn't want water that somebody might have been blowing bubbles in. <laughs> and so I tried to stay up. She'd said, bath and bed. And everybody else had run inside, but I sat on the front porch. And my, my grandfather, my pop-ops, her stepson, was sitting in the porch swing. And just to keep from having to go in with everybody else, I said, pop-ops. Where's great-grandma get her stories? They're good stories. And without hesitation, my grandfather said, the moon. <laughs> what? <laughs> the moon? Your great-grandma Essie flies up to the moon. She can't fly to the moon. Yes, she can. <laughs> you see, there's this hootie owl that lives in the tool shed. And he stays there, and when great-grandma knows y'all little knot-headed children are coming here, she goes out there and she tells him she needs some stories, and she tells him that she's going to give him some of Sunday dinner. And so he's ready, and when the sun goes down, your great-grandma puts on her nightgown and that big robe and those big pink fuzzy slippers that one of y'all gave her, and she puts her Sunday go-to-meeting purse over her arm, and she goes out on the roof, the roof of the porch. And she stands there and holds her arms up. That hootie owl shoots out the shed and circles around and then reaches down and grabs your great-grandma with his toes. And he carries her all the way up to the moon. Pop-Pops, that can't be right. You don't believe me? Ask the Air Force. <laughs> One time they saw your great-grandma flying up toward the moon on the owl's toes. And they thought at first she was a UFO. <laughs> an unidentified flying object, you know about that. But then one of them looked in the radar and they saw those pink fuzzy slippers. 
and they changed the designation from a UFO to a LOFO. <laughs> a LOFO. Little old woman flying an owl. Don't you know anything? <laughs> so they didn't do anything about it, and she flew to the moon, and the hootie owl dropped her down on the moon gently and circled around the moon. They called that an orbit. And she scooped up some of the moon dust, put it in that big purse. Scooped up some stardust, put it in that big purse. Snapped that purse shut, shook it all together, put it back on her arm, held her hands up, and that hootie owl swooped down and grabbed her and brought her back down and said, who's going to get some Sunday dinner? <laughs> and your great-grandma said, you. And the hootie owl went back in the shed. Your great-grandma climbed through the window, and she takes off that big robe and takes off those fuzzy slippers, and she opens that big purse, and she puts some of that stardust and moon dust all mixed together underneath her pillow. And when she puts her head on the pillow, she has sweet dreams. And those dreams turn into stories. So when all you little knot-headed children come back down there, she got more stories to tell. And then he sat back and stopped, and I knew he was done. But I knew that my Pop-Pops could be as big a liar as I could be. <laughs> so I said, Pop-Pops, that can't be right. I've been in the shed, there's no hootie owl living in the shed. And I'm the one made the beds this morning, and the only thing under great grandma's pillow is her nightgown. Pop-Pops, I think you made up that story. He said, I did. <laughs> and I'm about as good at it as your great-grandma is. Now go on in the house. Cookie and milk and bed and bath. So you see, I had a lot of people who taught me about the skills of sharing story. And I'm grateful to all of them. And when I think about that stardust and moon dust mixed together and placed under great-grandma's pillow, I have sweet dreams, too. Lynn Ford with How Great Grandma Gets Her Stories, a story recorded live in the Appleseed studio before our terrific studio audience about recognizing the joy in your family traditions. Thanks for joining us today on The Appleseed, and thanks to Bill Harley and Lynn Ford for sharing their stories. Listening to these stories always brings up memories for me that I love to share. Where did the stories take you, and who will you take along? Our episode today was produced by Brian Tanner and Heather Bigley. Our audio engineers are Carly Wilson and Ashton Parkinson. Trent Horton and Evie Hendricks make up the rest of The Appleseed team. If you want to send us a note, you can email us at theappleseed at byu.edu. That's theappleseed, all one word, at byu.edu. Or if you're listening through a podcast app, rate us. Leave us a little review. It helps people find the show. We're pleased and proud to be among the many shows in the BYU Radio family of programs. And you can find this episode or any episode from our archive on the BYU Radio app at byuradio.org slash appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed Podcast. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed.